Welcome to another production of Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Dr. Jan Bedell, aka The Brain Coach, is a specialist in neural development, an author, and curriculum designer. She has spent more than 20 years providing neural developmental brain training services and products through her company, Little Giant Steps. The neural developmental approach for life can change the outcomes for all who implement it. We invite you to follow us on Facebook at Brain Coach Live, also on Twitter at LGSED, or don't forget Pinterest Little Giant Step. You'll have access to our newest product information, and we are delighted to dialogue with all who have questions about releasing the full potential of any child, or those who need to share the dilemmas regarding homeschooling, or problems with struggling learners. Talking with other parents and learning by sharing is great help as well. So now, here's Dr. Jen for today's Brain Coach Tips. Hello again and welcome back for another Brain Coach Tip. I'm Jan Bedell, the Little Giant Steps Brain Coach. Thank you for coming. I appreciate your confidence in me to spend your valuable time here at Brain Coach Tips. Unfortunately, more and more families seem to be in need of something to help their children function better. I believe there are many reasons for this phenomenon, but one big one is our cultural practices in raising our children. One way to be informed about these pitfalls and how to avoid them is to listen to some of the previous Brain Coach Tips podcasts done on a wide variety of subjects. If you choose to study the neurodevelopmental approach for life, you can be equipped to reverse the curse of learning struggles and the rampant labeling of our children to release your family's full potential. It's our goal here to get the word out about the life-changing effects of the neurodevelopmental approach and equip families with life-changing tools. Please help us with this goal by sharing the web address braincoachtips.com with somebody that you know. It's been my privilege for over 25 years to watch the transformation occur in thousands of families as they incorporate this approach through the Little Giant Steps products and programs. Be sure to check out the many free articles and the tremendous resources at our sponsor, littlegiantsteps.com. We even have a survey that you can fill out and get specific help from somebody that's very experienced about where you should start and the things that you should look at to help your child reach their full potential. We continue to receive reports of amazing results and changes in people's lives. My prayer is that you too can receive some great results through the information that I share here each week. Just as a preview, next week the topic is Homeschooling 911. I'll be talking about the situation when you've come to the conclusion that you really need to homeschool your child that has unique learning needs, and maybe you're not as prepared or maybe not as confident as you'd like to be. So join us next week for that topic. Well, I think you're in for a very special treat this week because of the special guest that we have with us. It's one of my favorite people on the whole planet, and it's my daughter, Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi. We wanted to talk today and give a little bit of perspective from a sibling of a person with special needs. 
Alyssa's situation may be a little more extreme than some of the situations that you're experiencing because her sister had a low IQ. So she was a much younger child inside all of her life. She was the oldest. Janae was three years older than Alyssa. So Alyssa's the younger child. And we did start homeschooling both of them when Alyssa was six and Janae was nine. When we moved to Texas, we had just found out about homeschooling. It was brand new in, in that time. You know, I don't know if all of you know, but I am a grandmother, thanks to Alyssa, three beautiful grandchildren that she's given us. So Alyssa, I wanted to ask you a little bit about just your childhood and if you'll explain to people, you know, kind of how it was with an older sibling that had some real special needs. I think my childhood was pretty normal. Most children, you don't really notice differences between people at a certain age. You know, you're young and everybody is innocent and everybody's young and you're all kind of just playing. So I don't know that I really noticed a big difference when we were younger. We fought like normal siblings. We shared like normal siblings. So did any of your interactions with others, like when they started to notice a difference between Janae and typical developing children, did that change the way that you dealt with other people? It did. I am naturally kind of a people watcher and observer, so I was very aware of other children and the way they interacted with Janae. They would, uh, if they stared or if they, you know, would shy away from her or not play with her or even point or laugh, that was always something that I noticed when I got to a certain age. And I was very, I was very protective of her. You know, I didn't want her to see that they were being mean. So I'd either, you know, kind of just play with her or try to keep us away from them kind of in a separate area. I think I was more of a protector, sticking up for her and defending her in that way and trying to keep us kind of uh, a team as opposed to kind of shying away or, you know, trying to fit in with the other kids and things like that. So I, I didn't have as many friends growing up. You know, we just kind of stuck together, because, mainly for that reason. So do you think that there was some... Um times that you didn't think things were fair for you in this scenario? I didn't think that I had some of the same opportunities as a, as a kiddo. We were homeschooled, so we weren't exposed to as many children. We did have some co-op outings and things like that, that we would all go on, but it was hard for me because of Janae being there. It was more of a time where I had to make sure she was involved or taken care of as opposed to just going and doing with kids just like me. And, you know, when we're, when we're younger and we're playing with different things or doing different things, sometimes I would be playing with something or doing something and she would want to take it away, you know, kind of like a younger child would do. And, you know, my mom was always like, well, she doesn't understand or we have to share. And, you know, it didn't always seem fair because I felt like if I understood, then she should understand, and especially since she was older. So with that understanding, has that changed the way you deal with your children as they're getting older? Yes, it has. I have a uh, almost six-year-old, a 
three and a half year old and a nine month old. And the way I talk to them about the nine month old, not knowing, not knowing what's right and, you know, taking things away and, you know, trying to make sure that they're being fair to her and not just ripping toys out of her hands. <laughs> I try to over explain it. You know, she doesn't know right now that that's not an, a right thing to do. And we're going to teach her just like we taught you. So I kind of try to put it into perspective so that they understand that that's not going to last forever. So that's really good. And one thing that you have to think about as a parent is you have to think about all your children. I found myself needing to be more involved with the one with disabilities because the second one was really gifted in her abilities. And so she didn't need much to be progressing like she should. And the other one was sick for the first five years of her life. And so we were dealing a lot of with a lot of medical things and a lot of attention is taken from that. And then sometimes you don't even, you're not aware what it's doing to the other children because you're so occupied. It's not something that you have to beat yourself up about. You have to take care of the, the urgent and, of course, the medical things. But one of the things we're trying to do here is just help you to be aware of the sibling's perspective. And if there's anything that Alyssa can add here that will help you to see it from that perspective and just bring your awareness up on that, that's more of what we're trying to do to help you to include that other one or to talk with them about some of these things. You know, is this the way you're feeling? And help them to get some of those feelings out. Because I don't know if you had any time where you were just really grappling with some things and you didn't feel like you could talk to us. Is that, has that come up at all? There was times when I was younger um, when we were either in a church group or in a big group of people that we were involved in that maybe they had been making fun of Janae and I didn't want to burden my parents with that, you know, because, well, especially in a church group, we're going to go back to church. So I didn't want to make it awkward or, or hard for us to enter that group again. But it was, it was hard for me at certain times knowing that kids can be cruel and, you know, they're not nice all the time. And of course I went through a period of time where I was embarrassed of, you know, some of the things that she would do or say or the inner inappropriate actions. And so I did of course go through a period of time where that was really hard. Adolescence was really difficult because it was a requirement. I mean, she wasn't going to go anywhere. She was my sister, but I had to deal with those inappropriate actions and things like that. And get over the embarrassment or just deal with the embarrassment or get to a point where it wasn't embarrassing anymore. And I did finally get to that point. Um, but there was several years that that was, that that was a struggle. That just seems totally natural because, you know, in social settings, you're, re it's, it's like almost a requirement that you act a certain way. And of course we were always telling Janae about the appropriate way to act, but she was her own person. And sometimes that didn't always happen. And so trying the balance between trying to protect her and help other people understand about the differences, I think that is a challenge for everyone that has, especially a severe uh, child. The other thing that's 
hard is when you have a really typical looking child, but they have these inefficiencies. Maybe they have some autism spectrum kind of issues and they're doing inappropriate things, but they, they look, they appear typical and people seem to require more of those people when that kind of happens. So there's just this balance of going to God and saying, you know, you made them, how can we help them the most and, and still help others understand too, because I don't know about you, but it helped me with learning about compassion for others. And I think that is something you've told me over the years. You want to talk a little bit about that? I do think I learned compassion at a very young age, maybe younger than others. And I don't know whether that's just me or whether it is the situation that I was raised in, but I think I did learn those lessons a little earlier on how to be more compassionate to somebody who may be different or struggling or maybe just having some challenges in different areas and really kind of pulling them along as opposed to shunning them or trying to avoid that situation. So did you have any times where you were a little bit resentful or put out maybe by how much was required of you? I don't know that I I don't know that I was resentful as much as noticing that I was required to do more. There were chores that I did that she couldn't do or things that I was required to do for her or with her that I wouldn't normally have been had she been a typical child. There were things that were just different and I don't know that I really resented it. It was there was periods where I did not think it was fair and that I wanted to be selfish and things like that. And my mom would remind me of the fact that Janae couldn't do certain things and that we did have to help her. And that one of her famous quotes was that to much is given, much is required. And I remember that so, so clearly when I was a child that it just kind of stuck. And I do also say that to my children because I do require a lot out of them, even though none of them have any special needs. They are required to do a lot because they are given much. So, And I think that's just a truth from the Word of God. We are, when we are given more, we are required more. And so that is a, a good truth that we have to include in our lessons for the siblings especially when they don't feel like things are fair for them as far as, like you say, dividing up the chores and being required certain kind of behavior even. And one thing that I want to encourage you in your, with your special needs child is that we always shop for typical normal on, in every situation. We would try to bring Janae to that point of this is what's appropriate. And that was one of our favorite words is that's inappropriate. And then she would change her behavior some, but some, you know, we brought her as far as we could, but some, it was just the way things were. So you always want to model and put, put the bar up higher. Don't make excuses for your special needs child and say, well, that's just the way they are. And they can't do any better, but keep giving the example, keep putting that out in front of them so that they can rise to that occasion. That's a good rule of thumb, in my opinion. 
one thing I want to ask that you would share is anything from a sibling's perspective that you could tell the parents that they could be aware of along the way that could help the sibling in the situation because all of the children are important in the family and we just want to be sensitive to that and when you're in the midst of it like I was in what how other people are I'm sure sometimes you miss those things so just tell us from your perspective if, if there's anything that you think from a sibling perspective the parents need to know I think probably the most important thing is to keep the lines of communication open and that's really important with any relationship but with your child uh, just making sure that they know that they can come to you even if it's a hard topic or even if it uh, might hurt your feelings or make you upset that that is something that you want to hear because it concerns them it was often hard for me to talk to my parents about well a lot of things but Janae in particular because I didn't want to upset them or I got to a point where I said well this is just the way it is so I just have to deal with it and I would suppress that or not talk about it and that can make it harder to deal with on a daily basis you know not all children are the same not all children are like me I don't always talk about my feelings so that's kind of the way my personality is as well so your child may not have that issue they may be free to come to you and say, you know, this isn't fair, or this isn't right, or, you know, this is kind of how I feel. But just making sure that those communication lines are open for those younger children or even the older children to come to you and say, you know, I feel like this is too much or this is required and it shouldn't be and that sort of thing to, to let you know how they're, how they're feeling each day. So when you have a sibling that has pretty severe issues like maybe someone with a syndrome or a low IQ like your sister, one of the things I want to encourage parents to have is the conversation with their siblings about future caretaking. You know, what? this is a really hard subject because you don't think about dying and you don't really want to talk about that subject too often. It's kind of something that's avoided, but it's kind of the big elephant in the room. What's going to happen with this individual when the parents are gone and they're not able to do caretaking anymore? So this is a subject that we really need to talk about, you know, whether the sibling is open to taking on the long-term caregiving or what are the other solutions. If there are other solutions that need to be encountered, then you've got to make sure the provision is for that. And in that open communication and talking about the caregiver, I want to encourage you to talk about that with your children. One of the reasons I want to really emphasize this is we didn't really have that conversation with you, Alyssa. No. So tell us a little bit about your perspective. Being the only sibling, um, and this is different for every family because different families have different amounts of children. Um, but being the only sibling, I knew from a pretty young age that I was going to be the caretaker for Janae. I didn't ever want her to live in a home or be with a foster family or anything like that. I wanted her to be with family. So I just knew. And there were some years where I didn't 
want to have that responsibility. I wasn't looking forward to it and things like that. But it was always in the back of my mind, you know, I'm going to be the caretaker. And, you know, when, when my parents are gone and I hope that that wouldn't have to happen anytime soon, of course, but you know, it's, it's a conversation we never really had until I kind of brought it up to my mom. You know, I said, you know, well, you know, Janae's going to live with me for the rest of her life. And my mom was pretty surprised when I said that because we hadn't had a conversation and she didn't know that I would be willing to take on that responsibility. So that is something that's important to talk to your kids about. I brought it up with several people that I dated. You know, this is my sister. She's going to be in my life the rest of my life. Eventually she's going to live with me. Are you on board with that or do we need to end our relationship? (laughs) It was a major deciding factor on a lot of things, you know, where to buy a house, how far away to live from mom and dad, you know, a lot of things that I looked at as my future revolved around Janae. So that was, that's something that it is a very big undertaking for a child. So I would encourage you to speak to each of your children and ask them who would be willing and find an alternate plan if that if they're not able to or not willing to be a part of that later later on in life. So as you can tell, Alyssa is a very responsible individual. <laughs> and again, I want to thank you for being here and sharing your heart. Now, if you're in a situation where the child may be an only child or the siblings are not in a position to be able to take on this role, there are programs that the government offers for disabilities and you want to look into that if that's an option for your family and just be prepared. And one other thing on this topic, you just want to be sure that you are with a lawyer that has a lot of experience with special needs because there's some really important guidelines that you have to follow. And so you need somebody that's experienced, not just your family lawyer, You need a will, you need things in place, a trust for the child. You know, I can't advise you here on all of those things, but just to bring your awareness up on that. And one other thing that you want to be aware of is guardianship when they're 18. Janae was very compliant. She would never have said, I'm going to go live somewhere else or anything like that. That was not a concern. But what I found out is medically... After she's 18, there's no, they won't talk to me about it. And she was not in the position to be able to handle a conversation with a doctor about her health or anything like that. So you want to look into the aspects of guardianship when they get close to 18 that could affect their life. Those are just some things from our perspective as we went through this situation with my daughter that has special needs. I want to thank Alyssa for being here and being so candid and sharing with everybody. I appreciate your insight. I think this will be very valuable for families as they consider what's happening in the dynamics of their family. This will bring their awareness up on some things maybe they weren't aware of. I actually wish I had had this talk from somebody when uh, we were going through it. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. It was great. Oh, I want to say, too, that you have been involved with neurodevelopment, obviously, since Janae was 15 and you were 12. So we've also 
integrated that into your child raising and you've been very open to that. It's been exciting to see how the kids have been doing with those neurodevelopmental steps that we want to make sure that they go through. And I just wondered if you would consider coming back in the future and sharing a little bit about what's going on with them. Absolutely. That would be great. It's been a, it's been a huge blessing. Absolutely. All right. Well, we look forward to those times, and we'll let you know when that's happening. We'll put those dates on the calendar. Here we are again, out of time for today, but it's been great to visit with you. I hope you will stay tuned to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network, where you will receive more of these Brain Coach tips to make life and learning easier. Next week, we'll deal with Homeschooling 911. It's basically when you find out you really have to homeschool your child because it's the best thing for them, but you really don't know what to do. So we'll be talking about that subject next week. In the meantime, please visit our sponsor, littlegiantsteps.com. They're dedicated to equipping you as parents so that your child can make the progress that you are looking for. Remember, neurodevelopment is a dynamic approach to life at any age. So think differently. The solution is not in the problem. Until next week, it's the Brain Coach signing off.